Thanks to SheLens Consulting for sponsoring this episode of Latina South. Through their work with organizations like the Latin American Chamber of Commerce and Latino Community Fund of Georgia, SheLens helps organizations deliver culturally relevant entrepreneurship programs in both English and Spanish. Visit SheLens.com to find out more. Hola, I'm Adela Yelton, and thank you for joining us at Latina South. Latina South welcomes friendly conversations with Latinas and friends who live, work, and play throughout the South and Southeast. We'll enjoy some savory bits of wisdom while we share about what it takes to thrive in life while holding on to the best of what makes us Latinas in the South. Welcome. Your favorite version of you is who you can be every single day. And that is what my biggest lesson is from making the film, working on the next film, doing all the things I've done, is that my absolute favorite version of Denise is the one that I get to be and the one that I choose to be every single day. And it's actually where all the success lives as well. So it's possible for you because it's possible for me. Today, we welcome Denise Soler Cox, an award-winning Latina filmmaker and cultural storyteller. Let's listen as Denise talks about how a night out in Miami inspired her multi-year journey to create the film Project Enya, an exploration of first-generation Latinx identity and belonging. Denise also shares about how she pokes the beehive on hot topics via her podcast, The Selfish Latina. She also reveals her next film project, Latina Secrets, an idea inspired by the hidden and often painful stories shared with her throughout her travels. Hola, Denise. Welcome to Latina South. Thank you so much for having me. I am super, super excited for this conversation. You know, you are an award-winning filmmaker, a top 100 podcaster, and a keynote speaker. What I understand from your work is that most of your work revolves around the shared experiences of being a first-generation American-born Latinx. One of my friends recently sent me a link to that video. We, so we both looked at it. We both looked at it together, and our reactions were both very similar. We're like, wow, finally, somebody who gets it, somebody Ooh. who's understanding, somebody who's been there. Tell me more about Project Anya, about belonging and inclusion. Yeah. So I first say thanks to your friend. I appreciate her because she led me to you. And I just appreciate when people, like when we use our Latina, our Latinidad, which is to share, to make sure that everybody gets some, to make sure that everybody takes part in the good stuff. Um, I love that about our community and it's helped me actually get all the, all the things that you listed um, when we first started. Um, it, you know, it's it's definitely because of that. So the project started really, the seeds of the project started in my childhood, honestly, with my own experience, feeling like I wasn't enough, like I wasn't Latina enough, I wasn't Puerto Rican enough in my case for my Puerto Rican family. And I didn't feel American enough growing up in the suburbs of New York City and going to school with people that didn't look like me, didn't sound like me, and their parents did either, or didn't either. And um you know, my whole life, I thought this was just my own experience. I thought, you know, 
who would possibly, who could possibly relate to this. And besides the fact it was also very internalized. So I almost didn't have the words to even say that, like who could relate to me didn't even dawn on me. I just had this belief system that I was alone until I was 26 years old and I was living in Miami and at a bar in North Miami beach. And a bunch of us were hanging out mostly first gens. And all of a sudden someone says something and it's like a silly, funny thing about how our, uh, how our parents pronounce certain words and how they get certain expressions wrong or different colloquialisms, how they share them versus what they really are. And, um, and then the cop, so it was funny at first. And then the conversation got, deeper. And then before I knew it, I was like, wait a second, I'm not alone. And it was, um, it was like the biggest aha moment I've had in my entire life. Uh, because up to that point, I believed it was just me that experienced this isolation and this loneliness connected to my, uh, Latinx identity. And so it was so profound to me sitting at that table that I knew that I had to do something about it because if I could feel like that sense of belonging in like just a few minutes, what would that mean? And how could that impact a generation of people that felt the same uh, or that probably felt the same was my guess. And, um, and then I went on a journey for 17 years and it was a journey. It was like the Picasso blue period, except for I wasn't creating anything. I was just feeling terrible about myself because I knew what I wanted to do with my life. And when people said, hey, if time or money wasn't an issue, what would you do with your life? A lot of people answer that question and they don't know. I always knew. I just didn't have the guts or the belief in myself to actually do it. So 17 years later, I'm writing my goals for the year because I'm kind of type A like that. And uh, I realized, you know what, I'm, I'm writing this down for the 17th time. And all I could write down was make movie. Because the night when I was 26, I knew I needed to make a movie. And I had no experience making movies. And I didn't know anyone that made movies. But I knew in my heart, this needed to be a film. I cannot explain why. And um, I still, in 17 years, did not get any additional training, read a single book, or even YouTube <laughs> a damn thing about filmmaking. Uh, but I made a decision <laughs> that day that I was going to do it, um, and that I was going to find the right people, and that if it was the last thing I did with my life, that this movie would be made, and a generation of people would be healed. And that was, I think, seven or eight years ago. And lucky for us, I'm so glad that that you realized that idea and it came to fruition. And I know it was several years ago, but your message still resonates very much today. And I'm just going to say it, it deserves to stand the test of time. Uh, and you. so, you know, I know that you, you mentioned uh, living in Miami, and I know you're originally from New York. And so, and I'm here in Atlanta, Georgia, and in different places, we're kind of like in different stages of the Latinx experience. And so even though, you know, it took you such a long time to um, realize this vision of your film and this message, 
it's going to stand the test of time. It's still very much needed today. What would you say to that? Well, I just say thank you. And I feel super grateful for for your insight. And I also believe the same. I believe it's a very evergreen film that um, that hopefully will um, will reach all the people that it's meant to reach. And yeah, like I, you know, often think like, man, it would have been better if I would have started earlier, you know, like starting that whole regret conversation that I think anyone over 40 starts doing to themselves. But then I realized I hear you. (laughs) I hear you. Right. Like it didn't happen before I was in my forties. And then I'm like, Oh, this doesn't feel good. Like the brain just starts like thinking if only this, and if only made that decision differently. Um, And Mm -hmm. so the funny thing is, is that I needed those 17 years. I needed to go through that, that chapter of my life. And, um, and I needed to do it when I did it and it needed to come out when it came out. And so it actually was released five years ago. And um, for me, the fact that it's new to people, that's what my partner always says, Denise, like most Latinos still have not seen the film, you know, like when I'm, when I feel like, oh, I'm kind of, I kind of want to talk about yeah. something else or I want to do something else. He's like, like, it's okay. Like we've been on, on the road or this film continues to be screened really all over the United States for five years. And, um, and I've been there up to about 150 of those screenings. And, and yet, you know, even this morning, someone reached out to me from a school district, an entire school district in Texas. Um, it's popular with middle school kids, high school kids, university level, Fortune 500, Fortune 100. It's like, if you're Latino, it's going to tell part of your story. And to me, um, it just brings me to my knees. Um, with gratefulness uh, to the girl that, or to the woman that just said, come hell or high water, I will do this. And I'm not really sure what that means, but I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Have you ever come to the Atlanta area, Georgia yet? I have yet. No, I have not yet been invited. It's so, actually, no, you know what? I want that just I have been invited to, I think, a film festival there, maybe a Latino film festival. And I completely forgot about that until just this very moment. But that's it. And I think I wasn't able to go because I had uh, an engagement um, already um, for that time. And um, and so, yeah, so that and that was years ago. But I would love to come to Atlanta. I hear that the Latinx community there is just is growing and booming. And I'd love to see what it's like. Oh, well, let's see what we can do about that, Denise. And I know that your message will resonate with many of our listeners. And and this is a a show about Latinas making things happen uh, within the South who live, work and play here. And and you mentioned spending time in Miami, which we still count as part of the South Florida, (laughs) uh, for sure. But what would you say about your experience in Miami? Well, my experience in Miami was... um, super important in, I would say the timeline of my life, because it was the only place that I lived that I felt at home and having, you know, Miami, if you've ever been there, it's people will speak Spanish to you first before they'll speak English to you. And they don't make 
any presumptions uh, based on looks. You could have red hair and the fairest of skin and the bluest of eyes, and you will still be spoken to in Spanish first because people know there that Latino looks any which way. There is no defined uh, look down there. We just understand that, right? And so I, um, in all the different ways that that is cool, it was cool for me too. And um, actually, when I first got to Miami, I remember making a phone call. I can't remember what the context was, but I asked for somebody. And then the, and then whomever picked up the phone said, may I ask who's calling? And I said, Denise, and she said, Denise, who? And I said, Denise Solar. And uh, because that, at that point I wasn't married and she goes, excuse me. <laughs> and I just got an earful from this woman about how I mispronounced my name, but how important it was for me to pronounce it correctly because I needed, like it would, it would be another way that I could kind of continue um, passing the culture down and making sure that we honor the sounds and the melodies of our language. And I remember thinking, um, you know what? You're right. Thank you. And I never mispronounced my name again. And so that's what my Miami experience was like. It was like a chance to really embrace my Latinidad and really see what it's like to live in a place where Latinos are running a city economically and politically. And I know that it's not perfect, but it was very um, confident. It, like, you know, there's some places where Latinos, I was just talking to somebody yesterday and she's like, you know, I'm just, you know, where I live, the cleaning people are Latino. Right. And where I grew up, you know, the, the cleaning crew is Latino and or they're also the landscapers. And in Miami, they're mm -hmm. um, the CEOs. And in Miami, they're the people that re represent us in politics and they're in leadership positions. And that makes a difference. It certainly does. Yeah. Representation matters for sure. Yes. Yes. So, uh, and it doesn't, you know, I'm not poo-pooing like where anyone starts it, it take, you know, where everyone, it, I was actually sharing how sometimes I personally relate to the people cleaning more than I relate to the pe to my own clients, <laughs> you know, uh, it's an interesting dichotomy being yeah. invited to these incredibly amazing affluent spaces, corporate spaces. And, uh, it's hard not to feel, um, like an imposter, even though I have an, an incredible list of accomplishments. And um, even though um, I've got a great bio, like it's, it's a fact that's still a reality for me. Right. I hear you on that. I mean, people are people. And, and even within the Latinx community, I mean, they're all different shapes, sizes, colors, um, all different walks of life from, from all these different industries and workers and people on the front lines doing everything. I mean, it's just such a, a, a diverse uh, variety of, of people and uh, and complex too. So, so we see that right being on the on within the community, but I know that's not always apparent to people outside of the community. And so, but let's let's talk more about that. I'm going to shift. I know that you have a podcast called. Uh, the selfish Latina. And I love it. Selfish. It's like, okay, giving us permission to kind of think about <laughs> ourselves because I know at least the way I was raised and, uh, and props to my mom, she did the best that she could, but it was kind of ingrained in us to take care of everyone else that our role almost uh, as being female within the household was to kind of take on everything and, and take care of everyone else who was not female. Mm -hmm. So anyway, that was just the way it was in our household. So when you say the selfish Latina, what does that mean to you about um, 
taking care of ourselves and, and stuff like that. Yeah. So thank you for bringing this up because um, my, I kind of feel like my job is to acknowledge um, the existing nuances that aren't like always seen or acknowledged. Right. And so we see that in the film, the film is really for everybody, but if you're Latinx, it's going to feel like it's for you specifically. And it is, it's like a love letter to all Latinos that ever felt like they didn't belong. Right. And, um, and so the same with these other kind of things that maybe aren't so positive, like what you just said, like, why do why do I, as a wife and a mom, need to put myself in the back of the line uh, for for care, for my own needs? Why is it that um, the women that are just, you know, acting like martyrs, right? Like, oh, no, it's a, I do it for the kids. Or I always make sure my kids have everything they need before I get what I need. And that is, that is seen as like, oh, like she's like the Virgin Mary, you know, like treated like she's um, the pinnacle of what a woman right? Should be. And it's like, yeah, you know, if I don't get what I need and if I don't get my time with myself and my walks and, uh, you know, the things I need to bring me joy, I promise you nobody in this house is going to be happy. (laughs) But if I do get what I need, right, then everybody gets to be happy, including me. And so the reason why we named it the Selfish Latina is because I think it's important to poke the beehive at the norms in our community. I think it's important to ruffle some feathers. Somebody, you know, wrote, uh, wrote to me um, in my Facebook group and said, you know, any other name, you could have picked any other name. Why that name? And I said, because of the way you're acting, because you think it's so taboo and it's so terrible to focus on you um, or for or for us to be selfish. And she's like, I just can't stand that word associated with Latinos. And I said, well, that's why I named it that. Because everybody outside our community thinks it's awesome. And inside the community, you guys, there's a there's a whole subset of people that are just mad. <laughs> and so the funny thing is we don't even talk about that. Like the, uh, the podcast isn't isn't even like necessarily about that, but it's like, it's the podcast is about Latin, like the nuances of Latinx culture in all of its shapes and forms. And so, um, and so it's kind of like a fake out or, uh, it's a way to poke the beehive, but then provide like the most substantive piece of content that we're able to create. Um, if you dare listen to it. <laughs> Well, Denise, I dared listen to it. And one of the episodes that I listened to, you generously provided us with a glimpse uh, on what was happening behind the scenes. I think you were developing a keynote speech around belonging. And you shared within the episode, you shared a story about the country report. And uh, can you tell us a little bit more about that story and how that impacted you and developing your speech around belonging? I always look back and look at different touch points in my life as the seeds of what I would eventually do for a living, which is, I would say broadly, my work is about belonging, right? And so the way I express that is in storytelling and films and podcasts and also on stage. And um, when I was in middle school, there was this like 
coveted uh, sixth grade report that everybody was super excited about. And it was, you know, before anything digital, we were actually using glue and pictures and cutting things out with scissors and creating these beautiful kind of handcrafted reports. And in sixth grade, it was called the country report. And so on the day that... um, or the day came that we actually were, we were actually able to choose the country that we would write this really extensive report on. And I knew that I was going to be doing mine on Puerto Rico. And I was so excited. And like I said, my last name uh, starts with S Soled, which is actually now my legal middle name, different story. And um, I was at the back of the line because everything was alphabetical. And so I was just like waiting, waiting, waiting to be chosen because I didn't want anyone to choose Puerto Rico because I felt like everyone would want to choose Puerto Rico. Duh, because it's such an amazing, beautiful country. And um, and of course, well, nobody did. <laughs> And, uh, and I remember standing up and choosing it and my teacher saying, you can't, you can't do Puerto Rico, Denise, uh, because it's not a real country. It's a, it's a territory. Only a handful of times in my childhood can I remember experiencing shame and embarrassment. And they're actually two of the emotions I absolutely just do anything to avoid. And uh, I remember feeling this kind of whoosh of heat from my head to my toes and just incredible embarrassment about not knowing that it wouldn't be okay for me to do this thing. And the thing is my mom had, my mom and I had prepared all of these brochures that I was going to cut pictures from and photos of us in Puerto Rico and maps. And we had all these things kind of prepared and, um, and to be told that I wasn't allowed to do it because Puerto Rico wasn't real quote unquote was heartbreaking. And, um, and I ended up going home telling my mom, I didn't tell her a whole lot about my, uh, my bullying and a lot of these other, what I call these touch point moments, these moments of shame or embarrassment, but because she was waiting to kind of get the green light on working on the project with me, I ended up telling her that it wasn't, I wasn't allowed to choose it. And so she ended up calling the school and making sure it was chosen and telling them it is a country. And this is those Latina mom moments. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. So I was able to do the report and see my mom in action and like making sure like, no, you're not, this is not acceptable. She will do this report on Puerto Rico. And uh, it was a very important moment. Unfortunately, it came with feeling extreme, you know, a shame and um, an embarrassment, but also came with seeing my mom really um, embrace uh, and defend um, her country, you know, of birth. And uh, it was a moment of pride as well for me. To hear you share that story with me and with our listeners, I, I feel like I'm, I'm, in your place, you know, feeling that you talk about heat rushing over you and feeling that sense of shame that should have otherwise been a very proud moment for you. But it also went into how you came to develop your speech around belonging. Well, tell me more about your work shifting a little bit around belonging, because it's not just about the Latinx community. It seems like many of the themes that you talk about do expand to other communities. What would you say about that? Yeah, so I have the great honor to spend my all my 
professional days. Like some people do their stuff on the side with hopes and dreams of making it full time. And I'm fortunate that I get to do that. And I've gotten to do that now for years and years and years. And so one of my absolute favorite things is to talk about identity. And, uh, and then, you know, while we made the film, spoke to over a hundred people on camera about their Latino identity and their relationship to this idea about Enya and kind of how that played out and expressed itself in their life. And then I had the chapter, which has not ended of taking that film all over the country um, and having an incredible volume of conversations with individuals, along with uh, being reached out from people all over the world, um, people in Africa, people in um, India, Sri Lanka, the Netherlands, people in Australia reaching out to me, telling me um, that this is also their story and they weren't necessarily part of our community, which was kind of a mind-blowing thing, right? What I realized is that there are central themes that are human themes and they are around um feeling like they're not a part of things. And so here's an example uh, that's um, illustrative of this. And so I was at a seminar and I met a gentleman um, who had a very thick Italian accent and, uh, or no, Dutch accent, which I recognized because I used to work at a Dutch magazine in Miami. And I said, are you Dutch? Right. He's like, yeah. And we had this whole conversation, yeah. end up getting to know each other. And he, and I told him about my work and he said, this is so interesting because I, he's a dentist and he lives in Italy. Okay. And he said, it was very hard to be a dentist in Holland um, because of the way things are structured there, but Italy needed dentists. So I moved my whole family to Italy. Now he gave birth to one of his daughters in Italy. And so her, her first language is Italian, but she, he said, starting from when she was a teenager, had all this angst around her identity because she didn't feel Italian enough. And that her, and she also speaks Dutch, right? But she never felt fully Dutch. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is bananas. Like, this is not just, um, like, so she was first gen, right? So this is not just our story. It's actually really comforting to know this is the story of everyone who has ever moved anywhere and had children, right? For whatever reason. So in his case, it was an, uh, an employment. So they also have a bunch of people moving from North Africa into Southern Europe. And he said, there's a whole thing happening with Northern Africans moving into Southern Europe. And this migration is happening because of the environment. Um, and because of that, people are moving and they're needing to you know, change their livelihoods and move because it's too hot. It's too hot to farm. It's too hot to, to live and exist uh, in, in, a, in a reasonable way, right? And so for all kinds of reasons, political, environmental, and otherwise, people are moving and their children are going to experience this Enya experience. And so, you know, after a while, I realized this is about belonging. This conversation is about belonging and that question, where do I belong? And what are the markers of belonging? And at what point do I decide that I belong? And then where can I help other people experience belonging became the two most interesting questions um, that continue to fascinate me and that are actually at the heart of my uh, new keynote on belonging. <laughs> 
how powerful is that, right? So, you know, something that we're experiencing within our community that sometimes it does feel like we're alone, right? With all of these things. And so that's why when I hear your message, I'm like, wow, I'm not alone. I, there's someone who gets it. There's someone I connect with. And then now there are even more people to connect with based on, you know, some of our experiences around belonging and feeling like we don't belong, you know, all the nuances that go with that. So, you know, for me, when I hear that, it's like, wow, a, a bridge to connect even with more people, even with more people. And isn't that what the world needs and not to get to, um, you know, I don't want to make it sound like it's so simple. But I think that's where we start, right? I mean, these are the steps that we can take to look outside of our bubbles of existence and really connect with the other bubbles that might be out there. So I appreciate you putting that out there and telling us more about your work. There's one other saying that I hear you say, and I'm not sure if I read it in one of your blogs or an article, but you do talk about feeling ni de aquí. And I recently um, had someone present to me um, flipping that a little bit and flipping it to the point where we say, somos de aquí y somos de allá. Have you heard that before? And what do you think about that? I love it. Um, so I recently heard somebody, like someone wrote that on my Instagram wall or what, on one of my posts. And I was like, what? That's awesome. I love it. And I mean, honestly, anything that gives us power, I'm signing me up, right? Especially collective power. And that saying, that colloquialism in our community, even if you're not fluent in Spanish, everybody knows what it is. It's probably my most popular Instagram post. I literally just wrote that, the words, and people were like, yeah, so my gosh, this is, this is me. Lots of feelings <laughs> and commentary around it. And so the idea that someone would take it and flip it upside down and say, no, I'm from here and from there. Hello. Like I belong is anywhere I want to be, anywhere I say that I belong. And to me, um, I, I could not uh, be more in love with that new version of that saying. Denise, what's, what's next for you? Because I know you're, you've done a lot, but you're just getting started on some things and there's so much more you want to do. What's next? So, and thanks for saying that because it does feel like time just flies, right? And uh, to any, like, I mean, a lot of people look to me and they're like, wow, I can't believe she um, did all that stuff. And, you know, and FYI, like, f remember for 17 years, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I just thought a lot about something, right? And experienced all these feelings of lack. Well, it was germinating, germinating in your head and growing and all that Exactly. Stuff. Yeah. And you know what? Like the thing is the time is going to pass anyway, just like the 17 years passed. So did the last seven years. They also passed. And so might as well just get started on something and just see where it takes you. So um, what I'm doing now is a result of being on tour with the film for the last five years and realizing that there was something kind of bubbling up uh, in conversation uh, with so many women. It was just undeniable. And at one point I just said, you know, I can't, I can't stand by and see this story that needs to be told and, and um, not tell it myself. And so a lot of people who have read Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, um, you'll know what I'm talking about and know that ideas are seeded in many souls. 
right? And then there's some that are just ready to execute on the idea. And that was me um, with the first film being Enye. And now with my second film, which is not uh, yet named, but we are... um, we're calling it uh, Latina Secrets. Uh, that's kind of the working title. And I'm going to encourage each and every one of you not to Google that because you're going to get a bunch of sites that <laughs> has nothing to do with the movie, but uh, maybe have a little bit to do with it. And so um, and so the, the film is about um, secret keeping in our community. And it's about, um, there's another saying that is used often, and I say it from stages all over. doesn't matter how young people are or how professional the environment. When I say los trapos sucios and I go like this and like tell the audience, you know, with my hands, like to tell me the rest, they always fill it in. Se lavan en la casa. Yeah. And everybody knows we keep our dirty laundry, quote unquote, at home. And we're all taught that don't tell anybody, don't say anything. And there's mm-hmm. so many cultural reasons. And um, unfortunately, that norm is has reached its expiration date. So similar to the Nidhi Aki, Nidhi Aya, and there's this declaration Mm -hmm. of um, the opposite. I am trying with my next film to poke uh, poke the beehive of that norm and cause um, and cause it to change because many, mm-hmm. many people are keeping secrets around sexual assault and domestic violence and all variety of things that are very difficult to talk about um, and suffering in silence. And uh, our community over indexes in these instances, but under indexes in reporting and uh, many, many, many countless hundreds of women waited in line to tell me after these screenings, their stories, their secrets that they'd never shared with anyone else. And a few times I got into conversations where I was literally asked, would you ever endeavor to make a film about this. And um, between the conversations, the ones literally asking me to do this, and myself hiding my own secrets, I literally took two things from my life and said, these things are off limits. I will not share these things because I can't, because I need to keep them secret. And I had to look at my own behavior with my own film. I mean, how many people get a chance to make a film about their life? So few people, right? And then um, that I didn't, that I held back and that I didn't share the whole story with something that I needed to look at. And another thing that's super important to mention is that the things that I included in the first film, I was petrified to share, including the deaths of my father and my brother. And the fact that to this day, it still uh, causes me great pain. And I did not want anyone to know. I wanted people just to see me as this person uh, not to be pitied and felt sorry for. And um, and I thought that would be the result of the first film, that people mm-hmm. might feel sorry for me. And no one wants to feel felt sorry for but my experience was, is that it was the exact opposite. If anything, sharing those details about my life, sharing that I had to sell my wedding rings uh, to pay the rent one month, that I got my car repoed because I got myself way in over my head financially as a result of making this film. I, I was, 
I was petrified that people would look down on me. And guess what? People came up to me and said, I can't believe um, that you would share that. Thank you. I sold my wedding rings too. And I had to get, you know, I had to sell my car or got it repoed too. Like people shared with me honest the honest truth about the things that they've had to do uh, and the sacrifices that they've had to make. And so what I experienced was love. What I experienced was appreciation for being candid about really the truth, right? (laughs) And so I'm kind of betting on that for this film. I'm betting that, um, that when I share the truth about what happened to me and when the other women that are characters are in our next film share the truth about what happened to them, that it'll break something open and it'll validate a whole bunch of people that think that it's not okay to share into believing that it's actually a source of strength. That's what my greatest aspiration is for that film. Uh, In the first film, you mentioned, you know, being vulnerable, putting some vulnerabilities out there. And so you're going to double yes. down on that and really um, even be more vulnerable in, in your next project. And, and that will resonate with a lot of people. I know people are in different places, right? And where they're at and how they deal with maybe some of the things that have happened to them. It's another way for people to connect with you and your work. And uh, again, when I, when I hear that, I think courage. Oh my gosh, courage, courage, courage. So thank you, Denise. What are some words of wisdom that you would like to leave uh, with our listeners? In addition to the ones that you've already offered to us so far. Words of wisdom I could share is that I, to the, to those of you who are listening, I know that there's that you present the world with different versions of you. I know that there's a version of you uh, in your community and at your kid's school and at church or inside your house and with your family. I know that you live your life like that. And I know that is exhausting. <laughs> and I want you to know that there can there's another option. And there's just the one of being you. And your your favorite version of you is who you can be every single day. And that is what my biggest lesson is from making the film, working on the next film, doing all the things I've done, is that my absolute favorite version of Denise is the one that I get to be and the one that I choose to be every single day. And it's actually where all the success lives as well. So it's possible for you because it's possible for me. Well, thank you for sharing this version of Denise, the authentic, genuine, vulnerable version with this wonderful message to put out into the world. And thank you. Uh, Denise, what can we do to best support you and your work? Oh, well, you can watch the film. If you haven't seen the film yet, you can go to projectenya.com, projectenye.com. You can watch it for free. And if you work at a company or you're part of a conference or part of an event, part of the planning committee, and you want to see... Um, a Latina speaker for a change. I am in a teeny tiny minority of women um, that get to get on stages and share my message of belonging. I would love for you to reach out to me and let me know um, about your event because there's so many events and mostly it's the same people saying the same things. And I think it's about time that we see some diversity up there sharing some messages about a different different life experience. Well, I uh, look forward to you one day visiting in 
in Atlanta, uh, Georgia, or the South in general. And I know that um, there are plenty. There will be plenty of opportunities. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> Let's see what we can do uh, to make it happen. Yeah, if anyone's listening from Atlanta and you work at Spanx or you know Sarah Blakely, she is one of my two biggest. She's like on. If I could invite two women for dinner and like have share time with, it would be Sarah Blakely and Ava DuVernay, uh, the director of Selma. And um, I would love. I literally would do uh, a speech at or a screening of my film at Spanx uh, if I could get Spanx for life. So it could be a trade. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Listen, it's out into the world. It's out into the universe. You have spoken it. uh, And you know how these things work. You know how these things work. You got to put it out there. And and let's let's see what happens. Yes. So, well, thank you again, Denise, for stopping by and speaking with us on Latina South. I look forward to following you and your continued success. Thank you. And uh, let's talk again. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And thank you for listening to us on Latina South. And I want to thank some people that help this show happen behind the scenes, like Jennifer Hutchison on social media. And thank you to the OGs who offer their music to us called Hire. You can find a link to that in the show notes. Also, please share this episode with a friend or leave a review. It's one of the best ways to support our show. Hasta la próxima. See y'all.